Well, good morning, Abundant Life. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Um, We're going to be getting to the message here in just a few minutes, um, which I'm really excited about as we continue in the Easter message. But we have a couple things we want to take care of. Um, just, Just so that you're aware, typically we have Mission Sunday on the third Sunday of the month. Dean will share... Uh, something, but obviously this month, Mission Sunday is also Easter Sunday. We're going to have some special things going on that day. So we have essentially moved Mission Sunday to the first Sunday of the month, and we'll be partaking of communion on Easter Sunday as well. Uh, so that will be happening. Um, but today, if you got the email, you saw that we have a guest who's going to be with us just to share for a few minutes before we get to the message. Um, and what's going on with uh, Foursquare Missions. Um, but before he comes and I introduce him, I want Chloe, if you'll come on up. Um, you know that Chloe showed uh, a video to us a few weeks ago. and uh, Well, you didn't show it. You, you starred in the video. But Chloe is at Duke University, and um, she is going on a missions trip, a stateside missions trip. And so we do a lot of missions around here. Community involves missions stateside locally like we're going to be doing Saturday, but also foreign missions as well. But we were able to give from the general budget a missions scholarship, I guess you would call it, uh, to her. And um, plus some of you have been able to donate. By the way, it's not too late to donate if you want to help her on her summer missions trip uh, to Colorado. So you can, if you're writing a check, you can make it out to CRU. But she was just wanting to say some things. Yeah, I didn't go into this year expecting to do any of this, didn't expect to be making an awkward video for him to show and continue talking about. Um, Yeah, it was awkward. I did a couple takes. I was like, nope, can't listen to myself talk anymore. (laughs) But yeah, thank you guys so much for all that you've been able to contribute to this trip that I'm going on that I wasn't planning on doing whatsoever. But here I am going to Colorado and going to have a lot of fun. I've started talking to some of the people who will be going with me, and I'm just excited to see what happens this summer. Thank you for investing in that. Yeah. All right. So um, Chloe is going to be back in May. So she has two and a half weeks left at Duke for this year, and then she'll be back to finals. Yeah. Plus finals. So, but she'll be back and we can pray over her before she heads off to Colorado for her missions trip. But we love you, girl. Can we give her another hand? Isn't she awesome? You know, she, she loves me despite the fact that we have rival schools and, and I love her. But see, she's walking out now, as a matter of fact. No. They were here both services. Love you guys. Um, so, who I'm going to introduce you to next is from Chapel Hill. I had to say it before they walked out the door. (laughs) No, I want to introduce, uh, Charles, if you'll come on up here, I want to introduce our Southeast District Missions Representative, and he is part of Foursquare, and uh, it's been, he and George Klein, you guys remember George Klein, Um, most of you should remember George Klein, Um, he, they are going around this area talking to different churches, meeting with pastors, meeting with leaders, uh, to tell what's happening within Foursquare and the mission. So uh, Charles Balin, I want to introduce you to him. He's going to take a few minutes just to share what's going on with missions. He is a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so, see, it's a more fair crowd, yeah, apparently, apparently second service. So, um, <laughs> But anyway, Charles, will you just tell us what's going on in missions? Thank you, Thanks Pastor. for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all having me here. Uh, it's a blessing. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, spending this morning with you all and worshiping. And uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for allowing me to come and speak to you. So I do represent 
uh, the Foursquare Church in the southeast in our Foursquare Missions International, which is our Foursquare Mission Agency. Uh, actually, it was kind of funny, Pastor. When I was uh, started attending a Foursquare Church, it was two years before I found out we had a mission agency uh, at the church, and it was available to us. So I want to make sure all of you know that Foursquare does indeed have a mission uh, international, an agency that sends missionaries, takes care of missionaries, long-term and short-term, by the way, along with, of course, Foursquare Disaster Relief, which is I'm sure you all have heard of and um, been a part of with the work that they do around the world. Fantastic, amazing work. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about myself. I was a missionary for several years, and Central America and Guatemala uh, as a missionary during a time of civil war. Uh, That was kind of interesting. I didn't know there was a civil war at the time. I was about 17 years old, and I landed in Guatemala City, and it was exciting, and there was a bunch of Americans in the the airport. I said, wow, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, we're leaving because of all the violence. (laughs) I said, "Uh, excuse me, what now? They said, yeah, because of the civil war. And I said, there's a civil war on? And I was kind of 17 and not really doing what I should have done before I went on a mission trip was doing some, uh, you know, investigating research, finding out where I was going to be working. It was uh, amazing. But God really worked, and it was a blessing to spend that time there. And uh, a lot of things uh, that the Lord really prepared me to go beyond that. I went to uh, China for several years as a missionary, um, uh, and it was a, a real blessing. And I've, I've served in other places around the world in, in uh, Eastern Europe uh, when it was still, you guys, us older folks, remember there was this thing called the Soviet Union. You all young folks are kind of like, yeah, I saw it on the History Channel. So, but it's, uh, it was a real thing. And uh, so I served in that part of the world for a while. And uh, God has blessed me uh, to, to be able to lead mission teams and agencies and, and, and uh, train missionaries uh, quite a bit around the world. One of the things that I want to encourage you guys, and I'm already encouraged, the, the, the work that you guys do in your church in missions is just great. Locally, with the outreaches you do and the people that you work with and uh, the Hispanic church you've got coming in, this is great. Uh, and just there's so much that we do as part of the Great Commission. Uh, we, you know, we are called to be a part of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, not just make disciples of, uh, you know, uh, the you know Mooresville or uh, of uh, Charlotte or Concord or Cornelius, but to make disciples of all nations, not just of our county, not just of our state, not just of our own nation, but really to make disciples of all nations. Sometimes I get a little pushback from people saying, "Charles, don't we need to reach people here, you know, who don't know Jesus before we send a bunch of people overseas?" And I said, "Well, that, yes, actually, we do need to do that. If only we had a Christian radio station that could reach them, or if only we had a." A church maybe in every couple of blocks or a few miles or every city at least. Maybe if we had that. Or what if we, if only we had a Christian television station that they could turn to and find Jesus. Or if only there was a bookstore they could go and get a Bible. And uh, then the people, they kind of start looking at me like, well, we, we do have all that, Charles. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. How about then we begin working on the areas of the world where there is no radio station or TV station or a church on every corner or a Bible that's available to them or even coworkers or neighbors that are Christians. And uh, you may be surprised to learn that about 80% of the Hindu, Muslim, and Buddhist world have no Christian witness near them or close to them. They don't know a Christian. There's no Christian living in their city. There are no Bibles available to them. There's no radio or television unless it's uh, underground. Uh, that's able to get to them. So it's a, it's a blessing that when we are able to go and share with those who've never heard of or have no opportunity to know about Jesus. And that's what FMI exists to help make those uh, pathways to make it easy for those of you 
who are called into going as missionaries. We know there's lots of ways to get involved in the Great Commission. There's giving, as you guys do often and regularly to your, to your teams and those who, uh, like a, the Duke student who's going to be going. Uh, giving is a great way to give. Uh, missionaries cannot do what they are doing without you being a part of that in your giving. Just like the church can't do what it does without you being a part of it to make sure that the lights are on and there's a sound system and that the kids have snacks to eat and you know the, the parking lot's cleaned up and uh, those kind of things. That's because you give that the church can meet together in a place that's comfortable, right, and nice. Same thing with the missionaries on the field. They can't do what they do if they want to host some people over for dinner, if they want to uh, take a team somewhere to do an evangelistic outreach, uh, they need gasoline, they need food for the team. Those kind of things are important. That's why we give to support what they're doing. And that means that you're a part of that as well. So giving is a fantastic part. Praying for missionaries. This is so essential. A lot of the missionary work, workers that I work with are what we call business as mission people. They're actually people who are working uh, either as entrepreneurs or business people or teachers or engineers or medical people. They're working in countries where there are no Christian, there's no Christian witness. So they don't really need financial input from the church, but they still need prayer because they're still dealing with spiritual battles and oppression and things that are, they're working against. Um, George Klein and I were just in uh, the Balkans area, and I was in a country called Bosnia and Herzegovina, and a, an, an amazing church there, the four square churches there are really struggling, but working and really working in the Holy Spirit, uh, his power to, to make inroads into that country. These are local people, local pastors who live there, who, by the way, have a chance to leave that area and go to more affluent parts of Europe, uh, but they chose to stay and minister to their own people. Uh, they are, there's about, in the country of Bosnia, there's 400 evangelicals in a country of 4 million people. So think about that. Your own congregation here, if you were the only congregation in the entire state of North Carolina, the only Christians. And that's what they're dealing with. And they're trying to still reach people uh, who are resistant to the gospel or who practice another religion completely. And are trying to be attractive and trying to be uh, strategic and figuring out how they can reach. And the Holy Spirit's moving and using them. Uh, but it's hard. And you can imagine they feel a little lonely and isolated. Uh, so that's part of what I do uh, for Foursquare is I go and I minister with the pastors there and the people to encourage them, let them know that they are not alone because they're not alone. We are their brothers and sisters, and we pray for them, and we encourage them. So prayer is a vital part of being of the Great Commission. There's also mobilization, helping get people who are feeling a call to missions, helping to help get them trained, help get them prepared and equipped. So the, the church's job and raising them up and encouraging them, letting them know that the church is behind them. If they're feeling a call to the missions, like the young girl going uh, to Colorado, she, she, you know what, she feels great knowing that you guys are behind her. She knows that she can go and stretch her boundaries, do things that she's not comfortable with, knowing that she's not going to come back and like, well, how many people did you lead to the Lord? Did you know, did, were you successful? She's successful because she's being obedient. So, right? So that's what we, you're immobilizing her to do that. And that encouragement is so vital. Um, there's also other ways, welcoming people, welcoming people who are coming to this area of the world, right? Uh, it's amazing to see, part of what I do in the world is I teach missions history, and I teach uh, what God's been doing in the world since Pentecost, which is a lot, by the way. <laughs> so one of the things that we've seen is the movements of people around the world, right? Even uh, slaves coming from Africa to Europe and North America, Vikings going into parts of Europe and, and taking people, kidnapping them and taking them back, and of course, then the Vikings all become Christian because they kidnap. Christians who then lead them to the Lord. It's amazing. Uh, the slave trade brought Africans here who would never have heard of Jesus. Obviously, the slavery was a terrible thing, but God uses 
things of the, of the earth to bring his name glory, right? Uh, doesn't cause them, but he uses them. And so many things like that. So even this year, or this, this era that we're in now, the, the Arab Spring, where the migration of Muslims fleeing their own countries because of the violence and the war efforts and the incredible oppression of some of the political groups and, and governments there, has caused a great number of uh, Muslim people groups who would never have met a Christian, never have seen a Bible, never have been able to talk openly with anybody about Jesus because in their country they would have been beheaded or their, their families would have been taken away from them or they would have been kicked out by their families if they even said something about investigating who is this Jesus. But now they're coming to Europe and Western countries and countries that are Christian where there are Christian neighbors, Christian co-workers, people at the universities who are Christians, and there's churches they could actually go to. There's there's people who can invite them to their home and not say, oh, well, you're Muslims, therefore you're wicked and evil. I can't have you in my home. But you invite them in. You say, welcome to America. We want to help you, you know, get settled. You know, let me show you where to buy pots and pans and sheets and blankets. You don't go to Belk, which is a beautiful store, but <laughs> it's a little more expensive than if you go to Walmart, right? So, uh, and then you help them. You make them feel comfortable in your home. And then you, that friendship allows them to share with you. You get to share with them. They can start asking so why, why do you go to church? Who is this Jesus guy anyway? I mean, he's a, we think he's a great prophet, but you guys seem to make much more of him than that. They, they've, they've opened their hearts. You've opened their hearts to them. Welcoming people, international students who come to the United States. Uh, they have usually two or three goals. First goal is to get a great education. The second goal they have, and this is what I've, I've met many of them, and they tell me the second goal they have is to make great American friends. Um, but over 80%... 87%, I think, is the number of international students who come to the States, spend two to four years here, and never have a chance to go inside an American home, ever. They go into student apartments, maybe, or a dormitory. That's not an American home. They don't get to come in and see what an American home's like. Now, if you ever, if you go to Israel, wouldn't you like to go and see what the house looks like that people live in? If you go to, to North Africa, uh, I go into Central Africa, a lot into the bush, and people are living in mud huts. Well, I want to see, what's that, what's that? how do you live like that? What do you, I want to go and see and meet them. And I get to drink their tea. If you go to China, when I uh, first went to China, I had all these ideas of like, exotic Chinese, and it was mostly apartment buildings that they live in because there's so many people. But it's, a, it's still, they're setting up their homes differently. They're living in a style that's interesting and different from us. And these people want to come and meet people, make friends. They want to tell their family back home, I've got great American friends who watch out for me. Don't let me get cheated, you know, don't let me go get, you know, if I buy a car. I've helped a lot of uh, Asians buy a car because, as we know, in, in our <laughs> car industry, you sell a car, you got to make sure you're, you're being guarded about what you're spending money on and making sure that somebody's not trying to rip you off, basically, right? And I've helped Chinese. I had a Chinese girl one time at college, and she wanted to buy a car. I went into the dealership with her. I said, well, beforehand, I said, what do you, how much is, are you planning on spending? What do you want to get? And she knew what she wanted. So I said, let me do the negotiation with you. And if whatever I say, you just need to agree with. So we go in, and, the, and I, I said, I want to give this much money for the car. This is walk out the door price, including tax and tax. And they're like, well, we can do this or this and this. And I said, no, this is what we're doing. And uh, the girl was like, well, maybe I could. I said, no, just just wait. And uh, we go in. And so the, the man's like, yeah, we can only do it for this. I said, okay, thank you. Goodbye. And the Chinese girl was like, but I thought I was here to buy a car. <laughs> I said, just keep walking. Come on with me. So we go out, and she's like, what's happening? I said, they can sell the car for this amount, but you have to trust me in the process. So we, she, she goes home. The car leader calls the next day. said, okay, come on, and we'll sell it for that amount. Because he, he, he thought he could get something over on her, uh, not just because she was a girl, but really because she was international and had no clue what the value of the money was. 
helping people like that, being a part of them in their lives, really shows them the love of Christ because you're thinking about them. What is it the greatest commandment? Do unto others, right? As you would have others do unto you. That's Jesus' command to us. And that shows the love of Christ to them. Working in areas like that around the world, working in areas of the, of the world like China. Uh, right now, China's um, getting to another period of great, great oppression. Uh, right after Mao Zedong, there was a lot of suppression of the church. Um, people were killed and imprisoned. Well, in the last six months, uh, over 1,000 American missionaries, well, not American and European missionaries have been kicked out of China. And over 100,000 Christians, Chinese Christians, have been put into re-education camps just in the last six months. The Chinese government is being very oppressive right now. They want to make everything Chinese. They don't want any outside interference. If you're an unregistered church, they're, they're done putting up with you. They're going to try to arrest you and, and, uh, and, and really suppress the church because they want it to be specifically a Chinese-style thing. And if it's not part of uh, what China has initiated, they don't want any part of it. So we just need to keep praying for them. And then we can go as well. We can go. You've got people who go to to Jamaica, which is a fantastic, your relationships with there are awesome. You know, you've made such close friendships and family members. Um, you're also going to Niger. Uh, things, God is doing a lot with your church. I'm so blessed that you're part of Foursquare because you're already, you've got a missional pastor and people who are leading you in missions who have a, a great desire to see God's heart for the nations spread amongst us as his people, we're his children. We're all responsible for the Great Commission in whatever way God has made us uh, to be responsible. So there's not one of us who's it doesn't apply to. It applies to all of us. However, God leads us in that. So what I want to encourage you is to please be aware, be aware of what God is doing in your heart and in the heart of your congregation. Even if you want to go someplace that's not Niger or Jamaica, let Pastor know because he can connect you with me and I can connect you with what Foursquare is doing around the world in those areas. I just talked to somebody this morning who's thinking about uh, perhaps someplace different. And, and uh, it's like, yeah, let's talk because I think we can find a way to see if that's something that God is leading you into. We want to train you and raise you up and we want to guide you and teach you so that you don't go like me as a 17-year-old. What war? What are you talking about? Yeah, I have no idea what's going on. We want to prepare you and get you equipped. Uh, so... Let me encourage you to please uh, be praying and be giving towards Foursquare Missions through what your church is doing. It's fantastic. If you have people who are interested in missional work, if you're a young person or a person who's finished with their first career, let me know. Come and talk to me because I can help you figure out what God's doing in the world and where you might find a place. I will tell you some of the most effective missionaries I've ever worked with were retired, two retired ladies that I worked with in China. They played golf and they had a little condo in Florida and they said, well, what should we do? Well, let's play golf again this year. You know, okay, we'll play. And they said, why don't we go teach English in China? We'll try, try it for a semester. And uh, oh my gosh, these women were the hit of the city. They were taken care of. They were coddled. In Asia, if you have uh, hair getting a little whiter like mine, you're very well respected and taken care of. They, they, were, <laughs> they taught English in these two classes, uh, and these two ladies, and uh, they had their students came in, and they would spend time with them. They're cooking dinner. They're making cookies. They would tell me after, you know, we'd meet like every two weeks because the church was hard to get together with. And they said, yeah, about another 30 people became Christians this week. And I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, our students love Jesus. They love it. I said, what are you doing? And they said, we're baking cookies. <laughs> I said, what? what do you mean? They said, we teach our class, and they do a good job teaching English. It's just, you know, how to talk English should. We teach them. And then we go home and have lunch, and then we bake cookies. And the students come to our apartment and then talk with us. And we share life, and we talk about what they're going through. We talk about what we go through. And they constantly come back to who is Jesus. And how you're educated women, how would you follow this 
mythological creature. And they're like, oh, because we love him and he loves us and he's proven that in our lives. And their constant witness and love by making cookies. And that was, and they, you know, by the end of the year, they thought, you know what? Who needs golf? We're going to go home, spend the summer, and then come back again next year. And they've been there now four years in a row going back. And these two ladies who are just best friends, widow ladies, and they, they love Jesus. And they're just being who they are. And God has used them in incredible ways. And you think, you know, I should be this young person who goes to Bible college and goes here. What about if you just are who you are and God uses you? Amen, Amen right? Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Let me pray real quickly um, for us. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for this church who loves you and is who, who's working their best, Lord God, to obey the Great Commission, Lord God. And I pray that you'll continue to make ways for that, Lord God. Help them, Lord God, as they, as they continue to give and mobilize and pray and share and welcome and go, Lord God. I pray that you would anoint them with your spirit for that power, Lord God, so that they would be a witness, Lord God, even to other churches in the area about what it means to be um, fulfilling the Great Commission in this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And can we thank Charles? Thank you. So what I heard Charles saying is if you have gray hair, the mission field is for you as well. So I did look at him and I said, what if you have no hair? So, but if you will open up your Bibles to Matthew 26, we're going to continue with our Easter experience series that we are doing. And really, by the time we finish this today, uh, this particular sermon, I mean, I, I do think it lines up really well with what Charles was talking to us about. Um, so you'll see how that all lines up when we get to the end. Um, we are taking these few weeks. We've already had three weeks, and then we have today, and, and then two more weeks, and then it's Easter, right? I mean, that's insane that we Easter is just around the corner. I'm so excited about it. Melody and her mom, Gail, did a great job with uh, the decor up here. Isn't that beautiful? You know, she, they did a great job with this. And, but as we've been going through this particular series, we're talking about Jesus' viewpoint on the cross, maybe what he could have seen with the Romans, how he was tortured, um, the people who were mocking him. And, and we understand that as beautiful as this display is that we have, the cross really was not a beautiful display when you looked upon it. It was horrific. Um, the, the amount of bloodshed, the amount of torture that was there, it was really not a beautiful thing. Uh, at all. But as we're going through this, <clears throat> we're seeing Jesus' response to the different people um, that are surrounding the cross at that point. And we're asking the question each week what will you do with Jesus? We saw how the Romans tortured him. The Romans just were kind of, you know, they do this every day, it's no big deal. What will you do with Jesus? And today, what I want us to really uh, focus in on is this when life gets hard, what will you do with Jesus? When uh, life becomes difficult, when there are decisions that we have to make that can be difficult, what will you do with Jesus? When Jesus expects a lot out of us, what will you do with him? If Jesus is calling you to the mission field, what will you do with Jesus? So our memory verse, I want us to look at this, and uh, as we do each week, we'll recite this together. So you ready? Let's read this together. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. This is where we're going today, counting everything else as garbage for Jesus, for him. When he calls, we're willing to throw aside everything when he calls 
and go after him 110% with everything that we have. So that's where we want to go this week. When I ask you this question, we're going to get into the, the story of the disciples and Peter and Judas here today is where we're going. I just kind of gave away the answer, so forget I said what I just said. Let me ask you this question. When I ask which disciple deserted Jesus, who do you immediately think of? Judas. Judas. Who else? Peter. Peter. Anybody else? All of them. We do think of Judas and Peter because there was, their, their desertion of Jesus was pretty intense, and, and the Bible talks about it a lot. But yeah, Peter and Judas and the other disciples deserted Jesus too. What made them desert, 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 desert Jesus? What was that? Leave Jesus. What made them leave Jesus? Thank you, Kevin. Now all of a sudden I'm hungry for like coconut cake. <clears throat> what made them leave Jesus? Fear. Yeah, all kinds of things. Here's the thing. These disciples had seen the miraculous, blind eyes open, lame people walking, Lazarus risen from the dead. They saw how much Jesus loved them and how much Jesus loved people. So why in the world, when it came down to this part, would they leave Jesus? As we examine their stories today, I want us to examine our own hearts. And first, I want us to look at the disciples' story. I had you turn to Matthew 26. Did I say that to you already? I know I did first service. Matthew 26. We're going to look in verse 36 first. And uh, we're going to go through verse 41. <clears throat> and let's look at the disciples' story here and how they desert, deserted, left Jesus. Then Jesus... See, you won't forget that they deserted Jesus because then you'll be thinking, how do you properly pronounce that word? Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said... Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, is Jesus happy and at peace at this moment? No, he's not. He's not at all. He's, his soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said, Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So here we have the disciples' story. This goes on a couple more times where Jesus comes back and they're sleeping. I mean, they're just, they're, they're asleep. They had a long day. Think about it, it's evening. They got this news from Jesus and things aren't going the way they thought they were going to be going. So a long day, they're under a lot of stress and they just had a meal, so now they have full bellies. Think about your week. Think about a particular day that's been rough. It's, it's been a long day. You've had a lot of stress, and so what do you do when you've had a long day and a lot of stress and you're hungry? You go find comfort food. <coughs> Told first service, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, if you like fried okra, then you've got to have the dessert. 
that comes along with it. And man, you're just indulging in that moment. What happens after you have had a long day, lots of stress, a full belly, and it's evening? What are you going to do? You are going to go to sleep. Your eyes are going to get heavy. You're going to be sitting in your chair and you're going to go to sleep. Even if you had intentions of praying, that will happen. Am I the only one who's guilty of that? They couldn't focus at this point. I want to let's look at two words today of what the disciples faced when Jesus was asking them to do these things and what distracted them. If you're taking notes, write down the two words, fatigue and fear. This is what distracted the disciples from doing what Jesus was asking them to do uh, when life was getting tough and what would they do with Jesus. They faced fatigue and fear. Let's talk about fatigue first. Here's what fatigue does. Fatigue can paralyze your thinking process. You know when you're tired and you come home, you've had a long day at work, and the kids need one more thing, your spouse says, hey, can you do this? And you're like, I just want my chair, I just want my bath, I just want this, I want that. <clears throat> I don't want you to say anything else to me, because you are fatigued in that moment, and people are asking you to do things when you get home and you just can't think. Fatigue can paralyze your thinking process. These men wanted to comply with Jesus, they just couldn't. Fatigue causes us to have heavy eyes during a class, during a sermon. I mean, even me. TV, and I'm preaching, TV show. <laughs> Fatigue can set in. But Jesus told them, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. See, what I have found is good intentions alone will not get us anywhere in God's kingdom. Good intentions are just that. They're, they're good intentions. And it's great to have intentions if we follow through with them, right? But good intentions alone will not get us anywhere in God's kingdom. I want to pray and read the Bible in the morning, but man, the snooze button is so much easier to hit. I want to spend time with the kids and pray with them and be with my spouse when I get home and show them about God's love and, you know, disciple them, but it's been a long day. You know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. I want to serve, but I've got all these other things, and by the end, I'm just, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I just can't. <clears throat> That's fatigue. That's what it will do. It will paralyze your thinking process, really causing you to turn inward with all of your thoughts. Let's look at fear for a moment. Fear can paralyze your actions, what you want to do. You know, you've heard of the fight or flight syndrome when you're faced with danger. You're either going to run away or you're going to stand there and fight. And often with fear paralyzing our actions, we want to run away. These soldiers, I'm sorry, these disciples ran away, verse 45 tells us, after being awoken to soldiers coming with swords and with fire and armor and all these things that they had. <clears throat> Verse 55 of Matthew 26, we're pretty much going to be staying in Matthew 26, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, but let's look at this for a moment. Verse 55, Jesus said to the crowd, am I, a, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. I bolded that. All of them left him. All of them left at that moment. 
Here's what I found. Jesus will demand more from you than you really want to give. He just does. Because you know, here, here's my thinking. He sees the potential that you have. He sees the gifts. He knows the gifts that he has placed in you. And he wants to draw them out. And he's not satisfied with leaving you where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Absolutely, Christine. Thank you, Jesus, for that, that you don't want to leave us where we are. Jesus will demand more from you than you really want to give. That could be in relationships. That could be at church. That could be at work. What it is, we're talking about fear, is often, like the disciples, there was a fear of commitment because what would this commitment get them into? We have intentions of a good relationship with Jesus, but we fear the cost of discipleship. And when I say we, I'm saying we. I'm, 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 I'm included on this. You know, God is stirring some things in my spirit, some things that he's beginning to speak. And I'll have to tell you, I'm a little fearful. But you're a pastor, shouldn't you have faith? Yeah, I mean, I have faith, but, you know, Jesus was perplexed at some of these things. And Lord, are you sure? We're, we're, we face these particular things. There's all kinds of good intentions, but we can fear the cost of this discipleship. Let me ask you this question too. Do my actions and my reactions reflect the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh when the pressure is put on? Do my actions and reactions reflect the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh when the pressure is put on? is put on. Fear and insecurity will cause me to respond inappropriately. I've experienced it too many times. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do that right. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I was tired. I was fearful. And I did not respond to what you were asking of me. It's what the disciples were facing. By the way, your fears are transferable to those looking up to you. This is for parents. This is for grandparents. This is for teachers. This is for anyone who has people looking up to you. Your fears are transferable. If your kids, your, those you're teaching, if they see you react in fear when God is calling, you know what? That's how they're going to learn to respond to. Oh, but uh, we're not, we're not going to, you know, I've probably, well, not Gabriel. I haven't told Gabriel. Fortunately, Gabriel has not learned from my mistake in this area. I probably shouldn't say this in church because you guys will do something. I hate snakes. <laughs> Gabriel, on the other hand, he's totally fine. But Nathan, he has learned my fear of snakes. That was transferable. That's what I'm talking about. So even in the way we respond to the Lord... You transfer that to those who are watching you, the youngest among us. So, I, you know, church, I want us to be people who respond in faith, who respond not in fear, because there's a lot of little eyes around here that are watching us. And what are they seeing? Teach your kids, teach those who follow you what it is, what it means to live by faith. Is your story one of fatigue and or fear? Because it will cause you to not follow through on your good intentions. 
fatigue and fear. Let's look at Peter's story. We're going to back up a few verses to verse 33. And uh, this is where Jesus was telling the disciples that they would fall away because of him. But Peter was not having it. Let's see what he says in verse 33. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples vowed that they would do the same. Peter made this declaration when there were no soldiers, there wasn't a mob, there wasn't swords, and there wasn't intimidation. That's when he made this vow. The group that he was with were all believers. They were on the same page. We will never not follow you, Lord. We will always follow you, Jesus. Notice that Peter speaks up for the others, but he says, even if everyone else deserts you, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert desert you. Who was in the room at that point? Jesus, Peter, and the disciples. He just threw them under the bus. Even if everybody else deserts you, Lord, I'm not going to do it. He implied that they would. And here's what I found with this. Is it possible, really it's a question, was Peter showing arrogance at this point? I am the super disciple. These other guys may desert you, Lord, but I will never. And you got the halo over his head. Kyle Eidelman says this, Pride causes us to overestimate ourselves and underestimate our need to depend on God. Pride causes us to overestimate ourselves and underestimate our need to depend upon God. See, pride is difficult to deal with because we often fail to see it or to acknowledge it in our own life. It's hard for us to see our own pride. Would you agree with that? It can be difficult for us to see our own pride. Obadiah verse 3, Obadiah has one chapter. Obadiah verse 3 says this, You have been deceived by your own pride. He was talking to Edom when he quoted this. Your own pride has deceived you. Pride blinds us to seeing our own pride. And that's what Peter was facing. Even though everybody else will desert you, Lord, I will never do it. I won't do it. There was pride that he faced. Here's another quote from Kyle. When challenges come, the source of our confidence is exposed. Is it God or is it me? Where's my confidence? What is it in? Let's see what happened to Peter. Verse 69. So if you want to, maybe you have to turn the page in your Bible, but go to verse 69. And we'll go through verse 75 there. It says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell, excuse me, I'm transferring the cough drop. You can hear the pollen. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Uh, Verse 74. 
4, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. Uh, Another gospel records that Jesus looked at Peter. They locked eyes at that moment. Can you imagine not only the disappointment that Jesus must have felt, but that Peter, at the understanding that he had been blinded by his own pride in that very moment, his arrogance did not allow him to stay committed to Jesus in the difficult time. When our confidence is exposed by life's challenges, may our confidence be in Christ alone. Where's my confidence? And I think Stasha asked this question the other day. We were just kind of talking through some things. Um, When the difficulties of life come, am I responding according to the fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh? Think about that this week. When a challenge comes, when a request comes, when an opportunity comes your way that is from the Lord, or really from your spouse, from your kids, from a fellow believer, but your action and your reaction to that, is it directed by the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, all these different things. Or is it a work of the flesh, which boils down to selfishness? Amen. Let's look at Judas's story. Let's take a quick look at Judas before the betrayal. Now, Judas was a close friend of Jesus. How do we know that? The Bible tells us that. He was in charge of the money. He was trusted by Jesus. How do we know that he was trusted by Jesus? Well, let me ask you this. How many of you would put someone you didn't trust in charge of your money? You know, we don't do that here at Abundant Life. We have trusted people who are on the council. You get to vote for them. If you're a member of the church, you vote for the council members. So these are, these are people that you trust. Uh, you know, Sarah keeps the books here. We trust Sarah. We're not going to put somebody in that particular position um, that, that we can't trust. And by the way, thank God for the levels of oversight for the finances. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different avenues of, of oversight for that. But Judas, Judas was heavily trusted. They put him in charge of the money. So that's how we know that he was one of Jesus' friends. And look at Matthew 26, verse 50 there. Jesus, Jesus, when he's addressing Judas, says, My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. So what was Judas's, uh, what was his deal? You know, we talked about fear, we talked about fatigue, we talked about arrogance. Well, here's what Judas's story was all about. Greed and disillusionment. That's what he was troubled by. Like the other disciples... We're thinking, this wasn't working out the way Judas had hoped. Jesus was supposed to come, set up his kingdom. This is what they thought the Messiah would do. Set up his kingdom. They would be living in the palace. They would be ruling. There would be fame. There would be fortune. They would be bringing the kingdom of God. They were, they were excited about the kingdom of God coming too. But here you had a little bit of greed and disillusionment that, that set in. Well, I thought we were going to have more money. I thought we were going to rule and reign here on the earth. And then he was disillusioned. Have you ever known anyone to stop following after God because God didn't answer a prayer that they thought he should or the way he thought they should? Maybe it's been you for a season of your life. You're like, God, if that's the way this is going to work out, I don't want anything to do with you. 
disillusionment, unmet expectations. Following Jesus can create disillusionment if we only subscribe to a false doctrine of prosperity, financial help, whatever it may be, and provision. But do you remember the words of Jesus? He said things like this, we must take up our cross and follow him. That's the call he's given us. To find life, we must give up our own life. Yesterday in our worship workshop, uh, Doug was leading one of the sessions there, and he was just talking through worship, and we started talking about sacrifice. Um, we got onto this, and not just in worship, uh, but just life in general. And you know, the reality is, it's not always easy to follow when things are asked of us, when God asks things of us, when bosses ask asks things of us. It's not always easy. It's really not. It's not always easy to follow, but when we are willing to sacrifice for kingdom work, it's hard. I'm not, I, 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 I get it. it. It can be difficult. But today comes down to a choice. I'm going to ask some questions. Mythic Vicky's going to be coming to, to play. I'm going to introduce this song. Well, I'm going to actually quote the song. We're not going to sing it. We're going to reflect for a little bit. But I want to ask you some of these questions. Will we choose Jesus over comfort and security? As a matter of fact, you can, while I'm reading these, you can probably insert I in the place of we. Will I choose David? Will you choose Jesus over comfort and security? David, will you choose Jesus over yourself? Jesus will, or David, will you choose Jesus over money? David, when the testing comes and the challenges to my faith arise, how will I respond to Jesus? How will I respond to his call? I wrote this prayer down. Can we stand as I read this prayer? I wrote this down, Father, expose those areas of our life that we'd rather take possession of rather than you. Rid me, rid us of fatigue, fear, arrogance, greed, and delusionment that draws us away from you. Amen. Will you accept that as your prayer today? And let's take the example of these guys who were, man, they were set on following Jesus. They had given up their life to follow Jesus, but then when things weren't working out the way they thought it, they deserted him. Now here is the beauty of the story. Except for Judas, these guys were restored. Jesus was there to welcome them. The song that Miss Vicky is playing You've heard it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be fruitful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Can we take just two minutes, three minutes? 
and feel free to come to the altar to turn and kneel where you are. But if any of these things have talked to you today or any area where you've seen that you've balked at the call of God, what will you do with Jesus in the difficult times? And answer that question. Maybe you need to repent today. Maybe you need to make a fresh commitment today. You know, here's the thing with Peter. He made a commitment before the Lord, and that was a good thing. Let's make commitments before the Lord, but then pray that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the empowerment to follow through with that. So can we take just a few moments again at the altar, kneel where you are, stand, sit where you are, and let's just respond to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, may we respond to you, to your call. Lord, help us to respond to your call. When the difficulties of life, when the challenges approach, Lord, we would respond to you in faith, God. Fear and fatigue would not be a factor in our decisions. The arrogance would not be a factor in our decisions, Lord. Or the greed or disillusionment would not be a factor in our decisions. We'd be led by your Holy Spirit, God. May we be true to your name, be true to your word, and be true to your call, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the uh, elders just to be available for prayer and the staff to be um, available for prayer. If you need further prayer as we finish here, um, that you come down for that. I'm, I'm going to ask Charles if he would come up and pray for us. I uh, had him come up uh, first service. Thank you so much for being here with us and uh, just encouraging us. You know, what is God calling you to? Maybe he's been speaking to you about some missions work. It doesn't have to be all foreign missions work, but it could be. You're local, stateside, but we pray for us. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for what you've done for us, Lord God. And indeed, Lord, we want to choose you, Lord God, over our own earthly comforts and and things that make us uh, feel better. Father, I pray, Father, as we are closing out today, Lord God, and getting ready to go out for our week, Lord God, that we would remember each day, Lord God, that we're walking with you and you're walking with us. And you've never given up on us, Lord God. And we pray that as we hit those times during the week of fatigue or fear or disillusionment or things, Lord God, that we would continue to choose you over our own response, Lord God. Change our hearts to be one that chooses you, Lord God. Change our mind and spirit, Lord God. Renew us, Lord God, so that we can choose you constantly. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray, as we go out, Lord God, so that we can be your witnesses here in our neighborhood and with our families and friends in our workplace and schools, Lord God, so that your name would receive the glory forever and ever, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.